Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm Bobby. With me today, we've got Ty, Lee, and making his appearance back off of the night shift, it's Jameson Maxwell. Uh, and guys, we are here to talk about a very big, solid win. The Oklahoma Sooners took out the Cincinnati Bearcats in Nippert Stadium 20-6. to um, And I, I say we lightly, because honestly, I'm still on vacation. I'm about to actually kind of pop off this show in a bit after giving my takes. So Jameson and Ty will take you for most of this uh, episode. But um, let, let's hear from, uh, from, from Jameson first. I know you've been waiting wanted to get your takes off the past couple weeks. What are your thoughts on that massive win uh, against Cincinnati? A little bit different, a little bit gritty, but what what were your thoughts? I think it just reinforces for like the third, fourth time that the strength of this team is the defense and every single Oklahoma fan, even though they're trying to, needs to reprogram their brain of how you think about OU football. It's obvious because we're going to do it this podcast as well as we're going to talk about the offense and we're going to scrutinize and we're going to pick it to pieces. Yes, our offense can be flawed. It can. It doesn't have to be perfect, but we can lean on this defense because it's obviously our strong point. Ty? Yeah, I concur with what Jamison said. Uh, He and I will have a bit more time to dive into a little bit more of the details, especially in what we saw in this game, but I do want to point out, I think we should be cautiously optimistic. I think this was a game where you can make an argument uh, in either direction. You can make an argument that this is a game that shows that this is a much improved team from last year and that we're on the right track. And I think you have to maybe read between the lines a little bit more, but you could maybe even make a fairly convincing argument that this team isn't all that different from last year. uh, If you just look at some of the struggles on offense and and uh, some of the other things, especially considering that this Cincinnati offense last week against a, a much inferior opponent to Oklahoma uh, did a lot of the same things, especially in the red zone. So there's there's definitely a lot to break down. Well, I just already from the intro cannot wait to dive into this podcast tomorrow on my flight home uh, because I, I know it's going to be a really robust conversation just, just from hearing y'all's two uh, viewpoints. Um, so before I hop off, and again, apologies for my, I believe I described it in the pre-show as uh, hostage quality audio and video. Uh, apologies for that, but I, I I had to get my takes on this game. I thought it was a solid grinded out win. Obviously could have been better. There were points left on the board to say the least. Uh, everyone who had uh, OU minus 14 and a half knows woefully well that OU should have won that game by more. Uh, and there's... <laughs> Is that why you came on? You came on just for that dig? (laughs) Absolutely what he's doing. (laughs) Maybe a bit. I I didn't have a ton to celebrate in the weekend spread this week. Uh, But, um, no, look, I I, I feel like there's a lot of optimism and a lot of good good parts. There is definitely real progress defensively that we can see. I I think we can finally start to talk like, look, it's not the finished product yet. Uh, Once you get recruits like David Stone in, like Nigel Smith in, um, uh, Danny Okoye in, like that is how it fundamentally changes to a prime national championship winning defense. It's not there yet, but we do know that it's absolutely improved night and day from last year. Offense, we can talk about that later, and I can't wait to hear what Ty has to say about that uh, on the pod. So y'all definitely got to stay tuned. 
uh, for that. I, I, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to having to wait. Um, but, um, I'll, I'll put it this way. This team, this team is improving. It's heading in the right direction. And I, I think it's absolutely holistically a better ball club than it was last year. And, uh, I think, I think we're going to have a really interesting performance against Iowa state, you know, cyclones, they show a little bit more offensive prowess this week against Oklahoma State, but who hasn't? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I think going forward, we're going to see a really, really good Red River game. And you know, next time we're talking on the full Schooner Pod, it'll be OU Texas Preview Weekend. I think we're shaping up a panic, massive OU Texas. Uh, based on what we saw from both sides, it'll be an undefeated, massive showdown. I can't wait for that. So. Um, overall, pretty happy. Could be happier. It's a good start. Progress is there. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it keeps going throughout the season. I'm still cautiously optimistic, but uh, we'll see. So, all right, guys, I'm gonna hop out of here. Uh, I'm gonna go get some cheese curds. Enjoy myself a little bit. Uh, Y'all have a good rest of the pod, and I, I cannot w- wait to listen to this uh, next day on, uh, on 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 Spotify, Apple Podcast. You know, all he's of gonna listen to them both. I'm gonna, yeah, I, I gotta, gotta boost those download up numbers mm-hmm. up. I gotta, I got, I got, I gotta, you know, help us out a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, all right, guys, uh, I'll let y'all take it from here. Uh, pods in good hands. So, um, yeah, um, cool. Have a good one, y'all. All right, see you, Bobby. Here's the thing. Bobby says he's going to go get some cheese curds. I don't doubt he actually is going to go get some cheese curds. That was not just a Wisconsin <laughs> on-brand joke. He's still sitting in the background, and I can see him smiling a little bit. Yeah, that, that dude is getting some cheese. Oh, he's back. That's literally, gonna- that's literally, that is literally the plan. We are about to get in the car and go get some more cheese curds. I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped. All right, get out, here. Up here get out of here. You've got important things to do. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now that Bobby's gone, Jameis and I breaking down Texas State 35, Woo! Nevada <laughs> yes. 24. Man, that first half was rough, Ty. Let me talk to you about it because I was concerned. Thank God we had the rally trident. Oh, my goodness. Rally trident saved everything. Uh, for those, because it didn't really get reported on, we're about to dive right back into OU. But uh, Jameson and I's beloved Texas State was down 17 nothing against Nevada. And uh, Nevada has a turnover trident. Uh, for some reason, and a Texas State band member got a hold of it and uh, ended up throwing it at the Nevada football team. And then after that, Texas State went on a run of 35 unanswered points uh, to win the game. So shout out to that band member carrying the day for Texas oh my State. God. It's, uh, criminally it's underreported story. Oh my God. It, it is. It was so wonderful. But yeah, talking about OU, kind of looping back around, Ty, I feel, I feel like we're going to talk about the offense we're going to nitpick mm-hmm. it because the defense is shown to be in these first three games that they're competent and they're the strength i think now hopefully we can change our mindset and actually realize we can have faults in this offense there's some faults that we can talk about and it's okay to not have a perfect team yeah for sure I, here's how i'm looking at this year and a lot of people use this this is a real thing in, in sports. A lot of people use it as an excuse, but the a lot of people hate this term, rebuilding year. This is a this is not the offense that we're carrying into the big move to the SEC and, and you know years of the future. This is Dylan Gabriel's last year, love him or hate him. This is the last year of a lot of stuff. A lot of things are changing offensively specifically. 
and we have a very easy schedule to do it. So I, I don't think that you can look at this offense and say that you're super. I, I don't think anyone should be super upset about this offense because it's good enough to win all but one game on our schedule. You know, we're, we're going to need some help maybe in Red River to, to carry the day there. But we have a good enough offense that it should just allow us to at least be a one loss team, uh, which I think would be a really good outcome. So while there is a lot to nitpick and we'll dive into that, um, it's not necessarily, you know, you shouldn't be panicking about this offense. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's like some things like whenever you're going to go against a team like Texas, I I do not want to overlook Iowa state, but I mean, it's kind of really easy to no offense (laughs) to Iowa state, but like, obviously the Texas matchup is going to be fun, but like looking at this Texas game, they they are a very well-rounded team. Like they have some weaknesses, but not as many as OU. And I like the biggest thing that concerns me is how one-dimensional is this team? Uh, is this offense going to be? Because you can tell Jeff Lebby and the coaching staff does not believe in our running back room right now. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Uh, I know this is something that you and I were talking about, Jameson, in, in text during the game was. Obviously, I have a little bit different view, a little more extreme of a view, I guess, on Dylan Gabriel than some people. But in my opinion, how bad does the running back room have to be that you're willing to run someone who is both injury and fumble prone uh, pretty pretty highly, I think, if you were to break it down and, and look at the actual stats? He's pretty fumble prone, and he's fairly injury prone, and he's our starting quarterback. We've seen that he is pretty firmly QB1. How bad does the running back room have to be that we're dialing up this many QB QB runs or QB sneaks in situations mm-hmm. where we're relying on him to go out there and lay down a hit and try to get that yardage, which did work a couple times against this Cincinnati defense, thankfully. But it's just, you know, we saw a fumble in this game from him trying to do that. And I really have to wonder, I mean, like how bad can that situation be? Because I feel like we don't see a whole lot of terrible things from them. Yeah. Um, first quarter tie, take a guess. How many carries did we give the running backs in the first quarter? In in the in the first quarter, and I'll it's just give you a gotta be less than It's got to be less than five in the first quarter. There so was a, as a fair amount during the game. We but... have six, 12, 18. So twenty two total plays. How many of those do you think were runs to the running back? Yeah, I still think. Oh well, how many runs to the running backs? Yes, yes. Not counting the Dylan Gabriel runs. I think it's five or less. Yeah, it's four, and that's just crazy. Like, you have 22 plays, and you're only giving four to the running backs. That's just – that's not this balance that we heard from this Jeff Levy offense whenever we hired him. We really heard about, oh, Jeff Levy's going to bring balance to this team. He's going to establish the run to open up the pass. And, and you know, we were really excited about that. But is it to the point where Jeff Levy is concerned that this running back room can't do – you know, can't unlock the potential of this team. So, like, let's break it down. The first run of the game was a negative four-yard loss for Marcus Major. And then moving <laughs> moving on, that was the only uh, run for the first drive. Second drive was a 12-play drive that ended in Dylan Gabriel fumbling. We only had, ran it once, and it was the play before Dylan Gabriel fumbled, and it was a Marcus Major run for zero yards. And then we had um, in our touchdown uh, at the end of the first quarter, we had a Tawi Walker run for seven yards, which is great. But then it was a no gain Tawi Walker. So we are four yard, I mean three yards for four carries in that first quarter mm-hmm. for running backs. Yeah, I I know I I said it 
in our text during the game, uh, sort of jokingly, but I, I asked what the record was for most carries for zero yards because I thought Marcus Major was trying to break it at one point because he would mm-hmm. even if he had open grass in front of him, he would just slip at the goal line. Or at the, it was a little little line. slippery on that side because I saw Tawi slip almost in yeah. that same spot. So uh, was it a Marcus thing or was it just you know nip nip? I don't know. It was a little bit slippery. <laughs> Nippy slippy. And a little, little <laughs> out there. Yeah, but I, I don't know. And it's just, it's it's confusing. And it's one of those things that, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of posing this question to you and to, to the mm-hmm. listeners, but I I don't know that uh, Levy has ever really brought that much of a balanced offense. And, and for comparison, you know, you look at the last couple of years of, of Lincoln Riley, and we actually used to joke about it in the game breakdowns. We would almost perfectly be a 50-50 run pass split in like mm-hmm. every game it, with the Lincoln Riley offense. So that more balanced offense always confused me uh, to begin with. But it, when I think about Levy, I think about, you know, his time at Ole Miss. I don't think about a very, you know, crazy run. It was it was all centered around Matt Corral, the, you know, flashy quarterback, maybe make a Heisman run at He ran at Matt Miss, Corral into then, the dirt, though. That's yeah, like well, he but really the, utilized that's the quarterback the, run. That's through the quarterback. And mm-hmm. then when I think about him at, at UCF, again, with Dylan Gabriel – a very quarterback centric offense. So I, I don't know that he's ever really had a, an offense where he's really utilized running backs that heavily. And obviously, you know, the sports shifting and all the talk about relevance of, of running backs, especially with everyone running very quarterback heavy offenses currently through the NFL. And then even in Mm -hmm. every conference in college football, but it's definitely something that, you know, like we keep touching on this red river game really is the, the centerpiece of this season. It's the centerpiece of almost every season, but we will need a, a very, very credible run attack to to sort of make things happen offensively when it comes to that game. Yeah, you can't be one-dimensional whenever you play a team like Texas. You can't be predictable because what we've seen from Dylan Gabriel and his biggest knock, and he's been really good this season. Well, i got to give it to him. He's obviously yeah. not been perfect, but he's been really good. But last season, he also was good whenever we played inferior opponents, teams that we weren't, you know, say – single digit within the spread you know all of our all of our games have been two touchdowns plus spread you know so he does really well whenever he plays against inferior opponents because he looks at his option one if his option option one's there and the wide receiver gets open or if the play was a really good scheme and gets him open he hits the guy but the problem is whenever the play breaks down plays break down whenever you play really really good defenses So will Dylan Gabriel be able to make a play whenever the play breaks down? Or will he be able to make a play whenever it's going to be third and long? Now, if our running back room isn't doing anything, we need to make sure that to not be predictable, um, if we are predictable and throwing the ball as much as we did for Cincinnati, Texas is going to take away those option ones, and it's going to give Dylan Gabriel a tough time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my my stance on Dylan Gabriel this year especially is he's – He's almost, this might be kind of controversial, but I think he's almost flawless when you just let him play within his box that he's comfortable with. If you keep him sort mm-hmm. of inside 15 yards, plays that aren't like immediate uh, developments, because when when we have those plays that rely on sort of immediate throws, we saw it a little bit early on in this game too. It's fine if the guy is open, but if the defense is there, he's slinging it before he's thinking about it and it can result in some incompletions. But if he just has that half pause to think about it, look at his routes, he can even hit two, three down in his evolutions, but it has to be in the right yardage range, and it has to be at the right timing. 
he's I, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football when he gets to play within that box. But then, you know, situations like last year, situations where we're not using him, when you have to push him outside of that box, you know, he had one really good, uh, ended up being a really good play to Andrew Anthony on that, I think it was mm-hmm. in the air pass. But against a better cornerback, um, that would not have been a wise throw at all. And then he had some pretty, you know, pretty tough incompletions, one that should have been a touchdown um, on another long pass in this game. And we were getting kind of frustrated about it. That was the drive that ended in the fumble. I was sort of jokingly had said during the game to y'all that it was the perfect encapsulation of what Dylan Gabriel is because he was perfect, literally, on everything that was inside his little box. But then we try to take a deep shot and it doesn't work. And then we try to use him as a power runner and he turns it over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, uh, another thing is we eliminated the Jackson Arnold run game. So that's mm-hmm. taking another thing away from our, our, obviously we should have more running back carries if we're not giving these Jackson Arnold one yard carries and we're just not. And it it's just, I don't want to overreact really too much um, from this game, but you know, last week, Ty, everyone was excited because they finally were playing our younger running backs and Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes. How much of that was actually them trying just to see something different versus a team like Tulsa? Or how much of that was like this coaching staff is getting worried that they don't have anything at the running back position and they're just trying to throw whatever they can against the wall and see what sticks? Yeah, I as as we go farther into the season and get more tape on this OU team and, and get to watch them more, the more I think that that Tulsa game was a situation of it's relatively low risk because it's Tulsa and you know relatively low risk that even someone who's maybe a bit more turnover prone will turn it over. Let's try to throw something out there because you never know. People mm-hmm. can shine in a, a game situation when they don't necessarily show up that much uh, during practice. Plenty of plenty of cases of the inverse as well. So I, you know, I made a, a comment on the Tulsa post game show when we were discussing sort of the presence of certain running backs and, and lack of others. I said, Oh, maybe this was, you know, a super big brain move and we're playing a, a load management situation and we're just trying to let, you know, guys farther down the depth chart get reps in and then not because I mean, load on running backs is a very real thing as the season goes on. But now we come to this game and it's certainly that take I think is aging a bit because we're continuing to see just let's throw random stuff out there and see what works, which is a bit mm-hmm. confusing to me because I, I really do feel like Tawi Walker is, is uh, pretty solid. I mean, he was only the average three yards per carry mm-hmm. um, in this one, but he was good from the air as well. So it he, was, he passes the eye test. I feel like the best out of all the running backs. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, I think he's the biggest as well, which is, well, good he's short but he's 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 definitely well, he's the, the, as running back size like he's got the weight you know to really run over some people um which i think the way that levy likes to run this offense especially the way he likes to do run plays i mean we have all those big wide like swooping running back run plays that are uh, receiver run plays that we like to run but he really likes those sort of power run, those grinded out short runs. And I think Tawi Walker is the best one that, that suits that. I don't know that a lot of the other guys on the, the running depth chart really fit into that, that power running role that we, I mean, we're trying to force Jackson Arnold into even. Yeah. We continue to not get any, you know, 20, 25 plus yard runs to that absolutely break open the, the, the drive and, 
you know, put you into a scoring position quickly. And so if we're just not getting that from any of our running backs, having a guy like Tolly Walker as the guy who should be getting the first snaps is, I think, the way to go because I feel like he's got the best break. He can break a tackle the best out of all four running backs yeah. we played this year. I think so. And, I, and again, I touched on it. I think he's the best as a, a threat from the air as well, especially if you can get him out there where he can get a chance to maybe – Mm -hmm. uh, with blocking or something really else one -on -one and, whenever yeah. he caught one it was like he put his foot in the dirt and cut to the middle of the field and it looked clean well i'm even thinking about just those bubbles where you know you get drake stoops on the block and then you're just trying to get five yards or something and i think tawi walker has the best chance of of running over that cornerback that's out there and getting that extra yard and sort of that that uh style play yeah, Itawi does not have the highest ceiling. There, there's no doubt about that. But his floor is where I feel like I'm at the point that we should just put him at RB1 over Major and let him be that guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've seen that. I mean, I don't want to – I don't think – the experiment, it's, it's certainly not settled, right? Like uh, the coaches mm -hmm. are getting much more visibility into this than anyone, and they still haven't been able to to solve this sort of, I guess we could term it as a problem. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. It, it still does feel like we're just continuing to throw darts at the board and, and see if one hits. I mean, that's certainly a strategy. Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't know that we have anyone that's that, that terrible either. We don't have someone who's no. just turning it over every time they, yeah. they get the ball or making terrible decisions. It's, uh, it's just sort of, they're having a, a mid off as the kids would say nowadays. It's, it's, it's kind of weird because I feel like in the preseason, when we were talking about position groups, we were talking about our strengths and we, I feel like we were pretty optimistic about this running back room. We were optimistic, obviously about the offensive line being our best position group on the offense and the one in, in our tier maker that we ranked the lowest was the wide receivers. And I feel like that is a cold take now. I the, the, There's no doubt in my mind that if you take every single position group in the offense, wide receiver is far and away our best group. Yeah, I think so too. That was a really, really good transition, actually. Um, yeah, no, the receivers, and we're continuing to see people step up in the receiving room, which I think is very exciting. I, I think Farouk, a lot of people would say, yes. you know, where has he gone? I think he has just been consistent. I think what we've seen is other people in that receiver room have stepped up and really sort of eclipsed Farouk. And uh, I mean, in the past couple of weeks, Andrew Anthony, even although he had more targets, mm -hmm. I think he's even getting eclipsed now by uh, Nick Anderson, Drake Stoops, obviously in sort of a league of his own. And then uh, Gavin Freeman, you know, we're starting to see some cracks, but he had, uh, I think a lot of beginner's luck and everything else uh, as a receiver, obviously still excelling on, on special teams, but you can tell that he has a bit to learn still, as uh, the level that he's playing at. But yeah, Nick Anderson stepping up tremendously in these past couple weeks and uh, very, very exciting to see, I think. Yeah, here's here's the thing. With with uh, talking about Freeman, it's going to be hard to like get legitimate snaps whenever Stoops is in front of you because Stoops is going to get so many snaps. So the way that they're going to get Gavin Freeman the ball is kind of these end-arounds and everything. Whenever he gets put in the end-around, I feel like we've done it so much that it's so much on tape that I feel like the defense has been really stopping it. Now I'm at the point – I was at the beginning whenever I first saw Gavin Freeman do these end-arounds. I was excited because getting him in space is really good. But now I feel like I kind of despise seeing it just because I feel like we've done it too much and people have already caught on. 
Yeah, it, it has definitely been over you. I mean, we're we're using it multiple times a game at this mm-hmm. point, uh, which is you know go into all the criticisms of Levy's creativity or lack thereof. But yeah, to to take it back to the receiver room though, um, very excited to see Andrew Anthony stepping up mm-hmm. as a yeah. big uh, sort of a big. I don't want to say like a utility receiver, but filling that very workman role that Drake Stoops is, you know, been traditionally known for. Obviously you get those games where you get multiple touchdowns. Andrew Anthony uh, has had those games already this season. But if you look at the stat lines, I mean, he had the most targets and was out there just sort of grinding out those little, you know, completions for a first down. And that's really what carries, carries the day, especially with our offense, um, which, you know, arguably maybe should have been, um, 26 to six or something like that, but or 27 to six, something like that. But um, yeah, we we're stringing things together really well. And this receiver room is certainly developing, um, I think beyond our expectations for week four. Yeah. Here, here's the thing because our wide receiver room with Andrew Anthony on the outside, a lot of they, not a lot of them weren't that quick. We've got bigger bodies on the outside. Nick Anderson's fast, you know, but how quick is mm-hmm. he? Not really that quick, you know, you know, Jane Gibson, not that quick. You know, Jalil Farouk's got some wiggle to him. Um, he's he's moderate quick. But, like, Andrew Anthony, he's straight line speed, but he's showing us that he can be a guy that can take one cut and then lose the cornerback and get a first down off of 11 yards. He's not just a down-the-field threat. And he's turning into the guy that we thought Jalil mm-hmm. Farouk was going to be in terms of the numbers um, this year, that he's going to be the number one wide receiver on the outside. Yeah. And I, Jameson, I don't think you were here for this pod, but uh, Bobby and I, I think sort of dove into a little bit, um, maybe rose colored glasses here, but in my opinion, and I want to kind of pose this to you, it's almost good that we don't necessarily have a huge, huge deep threat. I mean, that Andrew Anthony, what he's able to do by just running those little mid-level routes and then making a quick move and creating space really quickly, I think that plays perfectly into Dylan Gabriel's skill set. And um, the the thing I posed to Bobby was it would almost hurt us if we had someone who was just an excellent yeah. at, at getting open deep because the temptation to just continue to try that, uh, which is something that I think realistically is well outside of Dylan Gabriel's uh, comfort zone or, or best utilization uh, would be too big. And it I think it would be a very high risk, high reward thing that we would get bid on a lot if we had it. Yeah, but the thing is, like, you got to continue to run them deep and not just play them in the intermediate the whole time because you've got to keep, like, the cornerbacks on their toes. Um, so that that's an important there. But I get what you're saying. You play to your strengths because Dylan Gabriel's deep ball is not his strength. Yeah, and, and you know, it could, be, it could be also sort of the inverse of my take that we're actually smart enough not to try to use people like that. And any one of these receivers could be excellent at at, you know, really creating space on a, a big deep ball. And we're just not doing it very much because yeah. we know our strengths. Yeah, can I, can I say one thing that's really bugged me? And like, I, no. I've been writing, I've been writing notes. No. And I'm just like, can't, on the side now, and, I, and I know you're not going to want to hear this, Ty. You're not <laughs> no, going to like so, this at all. And um, I feel like what's been really, really bugging me is why in the hell, and I know fans have been looking at this for a while now, and I've said it a little bit, what is Austin Stogner doing on the field as much as he is right now? What is he doing? Like, okay, I'm going to give you another, another little quiz. 75 offensive snaps. Guess how many Austin Stogner played? 
four, it's in the forties. I'm going to say. No, no. That would be a lot to to clarify. In the forties would be a lot. Higher. Fifties. Higher. In the seventies. Yes. He played 71 of the 75 snaps. This dude has not been productive in the receiving game. I don't feel like he's really shown me much in terms of his blocking. And I I get it. Having a tight end on the field whenever you're running quickly allows us to change in different formats. And we're not just going to have three wide receivers on the outside at all times. We can put them out wide or we can bring them in and have more of a power kind of running game. But the problem is we're just now talking, Ty. Our strength is our wide receiver room. and We can't get as many of these guys on the field at one time as we want to. Like, if we really had our way, Andrew Anthony, Jalil Farouk, Drake Stoops, yeah, they're on the field, but it's three wide receivers. But I want Nick Anderson on the field more. I want Jaden Gibson on the field more. You know, like, I just don't see why we're giving Stogner more snaps, even though he does give us a little bit of flexibility of what different, you know, sets we can run, whenever he's not doing much to contribute to this team at all. Like, how many catches does Austin Stogner have on the year? He had one like in this three, game for five yards. Maybe two. Um, so let's, let's max, take a gander. Yes, sure. three, he has, three, he has three a, for 18. It's, it's, he had a drop. Not, yes, and st- that's he had three a drop for 18. In this game. Why are yeah. we playing him 71, 75 snaps? I'm not saying abandon the tight end position. I'm not saying that because we need a tight end position. But play to your strengths. You're doing it whenever you're avoiding to play the running back. You're doing it, like Ty, you're saying, not throwing the deep ball as much. Play to your strengths and put your best 11 players on the field at one time. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't have a I don't have an argument for that because I don't disagree with it. Um, I would like to see maybe what he can do sort of just running it up the inside. I think he'd be a better option for the Belldozer package than Jackson Arnold. I mean, not Stog is like 6'6", 260. So, Man can't uh, move anymore. He is certainly, slow. yeah, but he can go straight line. And, and do what like we're trying to use Jackson Arnold as a hammer half the time. At least we can use someone who's a bit more hammer like. But yeah, it, it, I just I, you know I've we need to put out on this tight end room, man. I, yeah. I was out on them in the preseason, and I'm out on them now. I just I no, really I, just not seeing what we're doing. I don't think you're wrong. I, I think the tight end room, and we might be overlooking this, but you pose this about the you know your question at the start of the podcast how bad mm-hmm. is the running back room that we're continuing to try to run Dylan Gabriel literally in these situations where mm-hmm. we know that he probably shouldn't be how bad is the tight end room that Sogner is our, our first choice because obviously we've seen a couple other it's tight bad. ends uh throughout the year yeah so and you know we don't want to sort of continue to to be down on him but you know, the results are not there and it's things have just sort of fizzled uh, with his production on this team. And it is certainly a, a big, a big uh, missing piece, I think is the right, the right term to mm-hmm. use, especially, you know, and I don't think there's a really big argument uh, now that we're seeing the receiver room really starting to step up. Um, yeah. You do have to pose that question of why do we have someone out there that's not necessarily the best blocker and isn't really contributing to the passing game either. Uh, is it just sort of a, we're wasting a, a slot on the field situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's our tight end room is not good. And I understand you just can't abandon the position because Devon Mitchell, our recruit right now, is like a big time prospect. You need to see the tight end work in this in the scheme. 
Also, you know, we're going after Nate Roberts, uh, you know, another Oklahoma preps guy. And um, he's a big time tight end recruit. Like we need to put things on tape at the same time. Like 71 of 75 snaps is absolutely unacceptable for a guy that's playing to Stogner's degree. Mm hmm. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, like the offensive line, I heard whenever I was no, gone, that's what I was about really to say. Talk about offensive no, line was... um, because I, I guess I've been pegged as the offensive line person. I mean, maybe I just pay attention to the offensive line, and y'all don't. But that's not like I, it's not like my thing. I really don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, I guess the big thing for me, the offensive line, is not having Savion Bird. I feel like that's a big deal. I, I've, even though Savion Bird's been half and half in terms of his production. You can tell there's a clear drop off um, in terms of our ceiling and our power that left guard position. And Andrew Rain did not have a good game. Like I feel like the interior of our of our offensive line really struggled. And the Andrew Rain had like you know one play where he didn't even snap the ball, and it caused the whole offensive line to go false start. And then obviously he had that snap that just like yeeted right into Dylan Gabriel's shoulder pads. And it's just like those are drive killers. Yeah. It Going forward with this, I mean, the, the line, I think, is a position group. I, th I think Bobby and I touched on this last week and when you weren't here was you almost never notice them until things go wrong. I think overall in this game, they were very solid. I mean, Gabriel had a ton, a ton of time to throw, uh, you know, relatively. Um, I can't really – I know he was sacked, I think, a couple times, but not uh, to an extreme amount, I don't think. Let's see. Yeah, two sacks. And uh, six tackles for loss isn't great, but I think some of that's on the on the running backs. You got to get open, and then some weird play calls. But yeah, I, I think the the O line is I think certainly a maybe one of the more reliable pieces to this offense. Uh, I don't think the quarterback room is unreliable at all at this point, but we need them to be basically zero defect. I mean, you need your line to be that foundation, and like you said drive killers when you have those big mistakes, you know, false starts can be tremendous drive killers in a big game. You know, if we're in a situation where we have red river close, you know, and we're at a having to go for it on fourth and short or a third and short situation and the whole crowd is screaming and then you get one of those false starts. Mm. That's, I mean, that's a drive killer time and time again. And we just have to eliminate stuff like that. Yeah. And then snapping it, you know, what caused that to be a, a miscommunication. I, I didn't see the final sort of summary on that if they released it, but you, yeah, you just can't I have didn't. things like that occurring. Yeah. Um, all in all offense, like I said, it's not perfect, but I feel like the way that our defense is playing, it's, it's good enough for this team to be, you know, I think a one loss team, like there's a chance we could still win the big 12 championship with this offense. It doesn't take us out of it, but at the same time, um, if our offense doesn't get better in conference play, um, I, I'm not going to talk playoffs with you. I, I'm, there's, there's no shot. I God, good, good things. Bobby's not here. Um, but I'd be like, eh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think it's too soon. Yeah. Well, so I think, Let's get into the, I think you summarized it perfectly on the offense mm. is it's good enough. And I don't think that should be taken in, in a demeaning way. I mean, if you have an offense that's good enough to win a championship and a defense that's good enough to win a championship, most of the time you win the championship. So it's not, we're not trying to dog on the offense to say that they're just good enough. I mean, there's definitely an argument that they maybe couldn't be later on down the road, but just good enough is 
good enough for us. The defense, though, was the shining star of this game. We talked about Ben, but don't break in a couple of previous episodes. And I think we really saw it in this game, whether that was luck or whether that was play calling or some sort of mix. I think you make your own luck. Uh, but the defense, Ben, but don't break in this game. Yeah, I, I think that turnovers will continue to be a big deal for us because you know plays like key lawrence coming over the safety and getting that pick that legitimately saved us points like they're in field goal range it's that's like a really really big deal looking at our opponents for the rest of the year there are a lot of quarterbacks that i really don't believe in to have a perfect game for us so let's kind of just go through it next week rocco beck Rocco Beck obviously has plenty of deficiencies. Quinn Ewers, he's uh, plays things a little bit safe, a little bit worried about that. John Reese Pumley, you know, after that, obviously can throw some picks. Jalen Daniels, not so much. Alan Bowman, absolutely, absolutely. Garrett Green of West Virginia, if he's healthy by then. You know, Keen Slovis and um, our good friend from Highland Park, TCU quarterback. Um, my God, I'm just completely just Chandler Morris. I almost completely forgot his name. Um, the the majority of these quarterbacks have been aggressive and are going to throw for turnovers. We need to keep it on and our safeties and our cornerbacks are in playing aggressive um, because it's been absolute big time strength for us recently. Yeah, for sure. Three pass deflections in this game as well to go along with, with the two interceptions, but like you touched on it, creating turnovers is going to be huge. Uh, we've been very high on our linebackers as a group. Um, we've been sort of quizzical about the D line at, at some points, not necessarily that there have been big issues with them, but just sort of where are they, I think was a big talking point a couple of times mm -hmm. with this D line. But what I'm getting at is we don't necessarily have a situation as great as Danny Stutzman is that we can reliably count on creating fumbles. I mean, fumbles obviously generally yeah. a little harder to create than, than an interception, but we have been very good thus far at creating uh, turnovers um, by interception. And like you touched on, that's going to be a huge, huge thing down the road. I Hopefully we're not going to be in a situation where having to create a turnover is going to, you know, seal the deal against Alan Bowman in Oklahoma state for, for instance, but uh, that's, when we're looking ahead to Red River, those are the things that are going to matter. Those are the things that are going to equalize out. You know, if our offense can't keep up, even one turnover could be the thing that uh, really makes the difference and, and sort of flips the scoring differential one way or the other. Yeah, we just have so many ball players in the secondary. Like, I'll tell you what, Makari Vickers looked really good out there. Um, Kanai Walker has continued to really show some things like a guy that I feel like I didn't talk a lot about in the preseason. I feel like I should have talked more about, um, he's showing things like we've got a lot of cornerbacks and Woody Washington, just nobody talks about him. No one talks about Woody because he's just continuing to just be an absolute stud. Nobody wants to throw towards Woody. Everyone's throwing to towards Gentry Williams side because when Woody's just absolutely shutting down. And I feel like the biggest strength that we haven't really talked about these DBs, and I really saw very, very like um, obviously in this game, is how much better are we at tackling in open space this year? It is night and day. Like Ginger Williams is really good at it. If just you're someone you got a screen, and it's just you and the wide receiver, and if you don't tackle him right now, it's going to be an extra 15 yards. We are making those plays, and that is unbelievably huge 
for a team like us that we've had the past couple years getting the remnants of speed D out of our system that we were one of the worst tacklers in the league, like bottom, like, you know, like a hundred tens in the league in terms of like the way we tackled this season by the eye test. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I've been absolutely impressive with, I haven't seen too many missed tackles on the outside in terms of secondary and cornerbacks. Yeah, on the grand scheme of college football, we might just be approaching the the average for all of D1 college football. But like you said, we've been so abysmal at that. I mean, all bits aside, we've been so abysmal at just those open field tackles, especially on first contact, um, that even something like this, which I think was an above average performance and has been the past couple of games, because uh, I was saying the same thing during the game. I was really remarking on, I think there was one hit in particular I don't remember who it was or the time of the game, but it was one of those where the first the first like initial hit looked like it was kind of going to take the receiver down, but then it didn't. But our guy stuck with it and, and wrapped him up and really mm-hmm. latched on. And I remember saying right then, like, oh, that would not have been a tackle for OU defenses years past. That could have been a touchdown for them. So that has definitely been a massive improvement. And I think, you know, not to dive back to the offense, but I think we're seeing the same things. I mean, just – cutting down on errors and, and doing the fundamentals right is really how you build a really solid program. We're not going to see this, the big results in, you know, the first half of year two, even like we are right now. But the fact that we're already seeing results is very, very positive. Cause I mean, it's a lot of these situations we're looking at players who were here before and, and to see a difference that, I mean, you're seeing player development in real time and that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, continue to be impressed with this defensive background like it's a huge strength for us and especially if we get down to it versus texas you know and we're throwing haymakers back and forth with each other being able to stop the pass it's going to be such a big deal for us because our interior defensive line our linebackers have been really good against the run this year i've, I've been really proud and like danny stutzman like do you think he can be the best linebacker in football this year like the way he's playing these past couple weeks I obviously he could, he could win awards. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's hard to tell um, right now, I think just because of the, the schedule that we faced and then the fact that he's, you know, he's a popular guy on this team and, and with the Oklahoma fan base. So I think there could be not intentional, but from an OU fans point of view, there could be some, for lack of a better term, like marketing that's sort of skewing, um, opinions and then just lack of quality opponents. But I think that with those caveats out of the way, his performance so far is uh, certainly looks to be nationally relevant. Yeah. Like I will not be surprised at the end of the season, if Danny keeps this up, that he wins the buckets, you know, I'm not yeah. saying he's the favorite right now, but like if mm-hmm. he keeps this up, like he might, might not be the name that everyone wants to talk about in terms of linebacker that already had the notoriety mm-hmm. and the national standpoint, coming into the season, but pick six, filling gaps, making big time plays, stopping on fourth, that fourth down where it was like, what was it? Fourth and one, fourth and two, or Danny just filled the gap and hit the the ball carrier and just it was the fourth and two tracks. on, on, and it was Emory Jones. Yeah. Yes. And Emory Jones, like a big guy, majority of the time, you know, you get hit like that. They fall forward and they get like an extra yard. Sometimes they break the tackle, but majority of the time, those guys fall forward. Danny Stutzman hit him, didn't hit him straight on and stopped him from going forward. That yeah. is a big deal. Yeah, I was going to touch on that actually when we got into the uh, the linebackers 
um, in particular because while the D-line deserves a lot of credit, uh, we had some very, very big fourth down stops. I think they were one and four on fourth down. And uh, those three stops that we did have were all very similar. That one that was the fourth and two, the Emory Jones run, like you just talked about, where Danny Stutzman took uh, not of his own fault because it was a, you know, a very crunched down situation, but had to take a suboptimal angle and still just drove through and, and stopped the forward progress. Uh, that was huge. Uh, that was mm-hmm. huge for the game, huge for for everything. And uh, yeah, I think if he continues this performance through Red River and through, you know, a Big 12 championship game, if it were to recur or something else, you really would lose those well, but they didn't really play anyone talking yeah. points um, if he continues that through. And yeah, we're seeing big results. I mean, Emory Jones is, like we touched on, a, a very credible run threat. They've, I guess Cincinnati's been using him uh, not as much as one as maybe he was used at Florida, but that that skill and that size and that talent is still there. And yeah, I think we held him like 2.3 yards per carry. I want to say he was 15 carries, like right at 40 yards uh, and just really never posed a big, you know, deep threat. I think his running, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I don't think he was statistically any better than Dylan Gabriel on running. And he didn't even look to be, it wasn't like, oh, he had like a, you know, he didn't look electric. He was very well contained and that really created this super one-dimensional Cincinnati offense to some extent. It's why we held him from getting a touchdown. Yeah, it it's I it's been impressive the way that we've been able to defend the run, especially from the linebacking position. You know, um, you know, we only had two sacks, so that kind of I mean that changes the rushing numbers from Emory a little bit, but still, it's it's been I've been really impressed with the way Danny is. You know, he had three and a half tackles for losses in a sack. Like if he continues to do that in OU, like you said, Ty is like a big time player at the end of the season. People are going to look to this OU football team's like, what is elevating OU to make them not a six and seven team anymore? What made their jump? And then they're going to look at the team and on the defense side of the ball, the leader of the defense, the vocal leader, and obviously the guy who's going to lead the team in tackles is going to be a very easy thing for announcers to catch on to. And all it takes is announcers just to say their game, their name over and over. You're already seeing it on Fox. And obviously the Fox guys, you know, Joel Klatt is very familiar with this OU football team. So whenever he says like, oh, you know, Danny Stutzman, you know, he talks about Jason Cola, like he is familiar with them because he does a lot of homework on it. But whenever you get down to playing games near the end of the season and you're getting guys that are calling the games on the national broadcast that don't look at Oklahoma every single week and just did their homework the week before, they're going to see Danny Stutzman's stats. They're going to see his performance. They're going to see the leader, and they're going to be like, this is the guy that we need to talk about on our national um, television broadcast. That's how you win awards. No, for sure, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's just so much... Um, I talked about sort of marketing, like skewing people's opinions, but it's a lot of those national awards really are just so much marketing and, yeah. and hype that goes into them. There's so many people that could be deserving and that you can make a very realistic case for. And at the end of the day, it very often does come down to a sort of a popularity contest. And uh, yeah, I think you have a very valid point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really all going to depend on if we do well. If we have two or three losses, it, no chance. And I don't care how well Danny Sussman does. There, there's just not a chance. Um, they're going to pick a guy that's going to be a you know a first or second round draft pick. You know, at the linebacking position, Danny's not quite there yet. He's got a lot to learn in terms of he's still 
struggles from time to time, not nearly as bad this season of like going down the wrong gap and reading the plays a little bit better. He's really, really improved this season. I'm really impressed. You can tell he's been watching film. And I feel like, I think we saw something about a year or so ago that he wasn't taking things as seriously. He was a little immature. Obviously he's got a very happy go lucky attitude, um, but he didn't put in the work as much as he should have. You can tell now he's putting in the work. Yeah. No, I think that's a I think that's a very fair analysis. And again, like we touched on in, in the secondary, you're seeing the results of player development uh, in real time would not be the right term, but you're you're able to see, even as a, a casual of the sport, the results of player development. And that's why I think you can really make the argument uh, to shut down that argument that oh, this OU team isn't uh at all improved from last year they've just played easier people up to this mm -hmm. point even this stuff we weren't seeing sort of player development and things we were still seeing those silly mistakes and uh, lack of taking things seriously or whatever you want to call it uh, last year and you're seeing results of player development even early on to the season right now especially on the defensive side and that's why i think you really have to buy into that argument of this ou team is improving pretty significantly mm -hmm. yeah just to kind of round out this linebacker conversation, I know people are kind of concerned about what's going on with Jaron Kanick. Um, so the story, just breaking things down, looking at it, he, got, he gets hit in the chest, he's become short of breath, and then he realized he's kind of coughing up blood, gets sent to the hospital, and then he's discharged from the hospital. And we haven't heard anything really more from that other than he's doing okay and he's recovering. So what we know from something like this, just breaking down things medically, is... He gets hit in the chest. They're going to make sure he didn't break a rib. And, you know, as you saw with Travis Hunter, you can break a rib and that rib can kind of jut inwards and do anything to those organs below. So if he's saying he's short of breath and he got hit in the chest and it's not going like it's not getting better after a couple of you know, minutes, like it's not like the wind just got knocked out of him or you're scared he could have collapsed along or it could pneumothorax. So you're concerned there. Um and then with like the blood that there's a chance like that rib caught in and caused like internal bleeding and the blood's coming up. So I think hopefully they figured out that this blood wasn't something that was from some internal organ damage. And it was probably what they call my guess. If they didn't find any broken ribs or a punctured lung or something like that, it's what we call a pulmonary contusion, which is legitimately a bruise of your lung. And it can sometimes cause some bleeding. Um, but overall something you can return pretty quickly from. Yeah, hopefully that is the case. Obviously bruises heal a little bit faster than broken bones uh, in my expert medical opinion. Yeah. And if he still has rib injury without broken, like he can still feel very pain. Like there can be a lot of pain. Like for example, people pay attention to the NFL, Justin Herbert last year, like he didn't break ribs, but he had rib cartilage issues and he wasn't healthy for like five, six weeks. So there's a lot of different stratifications with the way a rib injury can go. So I really cannot tell you until we actually get news from the coaches of like, what's his status in terms of rib injury. And we won't ever know because it's just super hush hush. I think another thing I just kind of want to put out there from reading in between the lines in terms of injuries, because the coaches just don't tell us anything that I, uh, that people have been kind of confused on with Justin Harrington's injury. We know it's a knee injury. We know that it's, it's not season injured ending quite yet, but it might be significant time missed. 
I, from like listening to other podcasts, reading articles and kind of putting all the news together, I've heard the things that I've just said already. Then also a thing that he can decide, I think it was um, George Stoya of Sooner Scoop said this, he can either decide to get surgery on it right now um, and then he'd be out for the season or he can just play through it. And what that tells me with a knee, there is only one thing that can be. If you are going to play through something that could you could decide to defer surgery, that means he tore his meniscus. And that's a serious deal. So to be honest with you, I wouldn't expect too much from Justin Harrington this season. I wouldn't be surprised if he's out for the rest of the season. And it's sad because the way his career has gone, he could play through it. He really could. It's just puts you at a really extreme increased risk of arthritis in your later age. So it's not um, preferable to play on a torn meniscus, but I'm pretty sure that's what's going on with him. And it's going to probably be McCullough's you know, position for the rest of the season. Yeah, hopefully, you know, like we're talking about, no sort of permanent things he has to deal with and a speedy recovery uh, regardless. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we are still a very well-rounded linebacking group. Um, that depth that we were talking about preseason able to carry us through even when you're missing sort of what would be the ideal lineup. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I it's going to be kind of a shame losing Harrington for the amount of time that he is because I think DeSamacola looked really good on Saturday playing in that cheetah position, but it's pretty obvious that he just doesn't have the speed to keep up with even some tight ends and absolutely wide receivers like a Harrington could do that it could expose us if people are going to target him whenever he is playing in the secondary and try to get him moving on his feet, and he just isn't that quick. So hopefully we continue playing this, you know, Peyton Bowen in the Cheetah, you know, playing, you know, Key Lawrence more on the field, whether when Reggie Pearson comes back, um, seeing more safeties coming down rather than McCullough full-time at the Cheetah, because it makes me worry. I don't think he can be a guy that plays, I don't know, he might be a first and second down kind of guy, but then I worry about him in long distance, third yard, uh, third down uh, plays. For sure. Uh, do you have anything else on the defense, Jameson, you want to get into before we start? Yeah, jumping just into quickly. Yeah, I know we're we're running pretty long, but just quickly on the defensive line. Um, just one point that I wanted to make is we're really looking at how our pass rush is going to be. I think we're showing some things um, on tape. I think uh, PJ out is looking really, really good and showing some things. But I think our pass rush is super dependent on getting pressure on the inside to open up the outside pass rush. I just don't see many of our defensive ends winning the battles by themselves in like a three-man, four-man rush to get the sack. Usually it's Jaron Kanek or Danny Stutzman coming up the middle and collapsing the offensive line onto the quarterback. So we're, I feel like we're getting a good pass rush right now, but I feel like we're really having to scheme it rather than just having super special players go out there and make big time plays. So PJ's trying to do it, but um, Ethan Downs, I feel like needs a little bit of help. Trace Ford needs a little bit of help. Um, Marcus Stripling, guys like that. Um, we just are starting to become more aggressive with our blitz packages. Yeah. I, and I think that's a, I think that's a good point in terms of the things that you touched on that we're not able to do because while the schedule going forward isn't necessarily super challenging, um, we're getting to the point where it's not going to get any easier and the rate of development is going to have a very hard time outpacing just the rate of, of increasing difficulty in our opponents, if that would be the right way to term that, especially with Kansas looking 
a little bit better than expected. West Virginia maybe even looking a little bit better than expected. TCU, of course, always a threat against OU. And then, uh, you know, UCF and BYU and teams that we haven't really faced before. And uh, although they were down this past week, it's really hard to know what you're going to get from from teams like that. I think if we haven't seen something, especially in regards to the outside being able to create a really credible pass rush, I don't know that it's going to be very likely that we're going to see it this season with this package. Mm-hmm. This personal yeah, it, package. We're not as bad as I thought we were in the earlier season, but we're not to where I want them to be. I'd say they're still a C plus, maybe a low, low B in terms of ranking for this pass rush, but we're going to learn a lot versus Texas. Um, other than that, Ty, let's talk about Iowa state and moving on. I will change the, the top to show Iowa state rather than Cincinnati. What did you see from Iowa state last week versus Oklahoma state to actually buy in and say, is this team, you know, decent and scrappy even because they put up a good amount of points against Oklahoma state or is it just, they looked really good because they were playing Oklahoma state. Oklahoma state is the biggest embarrassment in power five right now, other than Arizona state, but Arizona state actually kind of played decently last week. Well, they played a Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley team. So of course they look great. They were a double digit. They were a double digit underdog. To like an 34, Alex 34 and a half point favorites. They yeah. had one dude who just did literally even threw a great pass at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget his name. It was like they're, they're running back. Yeah, um, yeah. I I very proudly uh, did not watch a single down of Iowa State versus Oklahoma State. That's <laughs> not to say that I didn't do my homework. Okay. Um, I don't I'll, know I'll what time block there. it was on, but was I didn't see anything. I watched. Time. Yeah, I watched the OU game, and then I rolled right into the Colorado Oregon game, and then I went out to eat, and then I rolled right into uh, was it Ohio State Notre Dame, and then I rolled mm-hmm. right into USC Arizona State. So. I yeah. did not have any time for the the garbage bowl uh, or the nobody's going to watch this bowl between Washington State and and uh, Oregon <laughs> State. <laughs> How dare they? How dare Lee Corso say that? But the thing is, like, Rocco Beck threw for 348 yards and three touchdowns. And I said it two weeks ago, not last week, that I thought Rocco Beck kind of had this twitch tone and made me, like, worry a little bit that he could have some pretty big games in conference play this year. And then they play Ohio, and he looked like absolute – dog poop so i just am kind of write this up to be iowa state's probably somewhere in the middle between how they played versus ohio and then obviously playing at home versus oklahoma state a team that just has no locker room confidence at all they're probably somewhere in the middle i don't think that their offense is going to be something that we really like gonna be like okay this is going to be a really really tough battle for us but we can't dismiss it like Jalen noel their wide receiver is like a guy that like we know that he's talented and He's, you know, a big time threat. But when we usually thought of like wide receivers in the past for Iowa State, I feel like I'd think about, oh, these these six foot five, six foot six guys that would just absolutely destroy our tiny little um, players. We they have they have guys like that, but they're two number one wide receivers. Jalen Noel is five ten, and Daniel Jackson six two. So it's this is a different style of Iowa State that we're used to playing, and then we're used to playing. Yeah, here, here's my thing with Iowa State. Like you just touched on, while they have good receivers, they don't have someone that's just sort of a, a cheat code, for lack of a better term, and you can just throw the ball their way as long as it's high, or as long as it's high enough, they'll be able to snag it, and it doesn't matter if it's perfectly covered by you know all five foot one inch of Buki, uh, they're going <laughs> to get the reception. 
Um, when I look at this Iowa State team and when I was looking at them prior to the podcast um, to, to really look at what do I think we need to do defensively to, to shut down this offense, Iowa State's leading rusher only has like 160 yards. And then Rocco Betts is looking at seven touchdowns, three interceptions, and then less than 50 yards um, and I think over 20 carries on the year. So he's not a guy that's going to create these big explosive runs on us. And he's not, he's not someone who's going to be able to really make plays consistently when the play breaks down. He's not going to be a Mahomes. He's not going to be a, you know, college Baker or something like that, where if we put a ton of pressure on him, he's just going to make that, that miracle happen consistently. Mm. So I think this is a, a game where we can really, really dial up some pressure especially from the linebacking core and just bring a lot of heat, really lean on our secondary to be able to cover people man on man and just continue to put pressure on Rocco Beck, make him make quick decisions when the pocket is collapsing, make him roll outside the pocket, push him outside of his comfort zone, rely on the fact that Iowa state doesn't have a very credible run threat. And I think we can be very aggressively or very, we can be very aggressively. We can be very aggressive in our defensive game plan and I think if we do that, it's going to serve us very, very well, even if, you know, there is a mistake here or there and they might get a big explosive play because of something blown. If we can stay aggressive with it, I think we will have a very, very easy time holding this Iowa State offense to under 20 points. I had the exact same thought with this game because Rocco Beck is the type of quarterback that he's going to try to extend the play and kind of overextend himself a little too much. And I want to play aggressive the same thing, too throw blitz packages out, put our cornerbacks on islands, see if we can get Rocco to make a stupid decision. Um, even though he looked good last week, this is not a guy that's going to be a 348 yards, three touchdowns, zero interception guy. That's just Oklahoma State's just miserable. So I, I completely agree with that. And um, I feel like we're starting to see kind of our game plan of how we can do that kind of thing. You know, I feel like we've been blitzing um, Stutzman and Canick a lot a lot, a lot, and kind of dropping our defensive ends even sometimes into coverage to try to, to like confuse the quarterbacks. I think we'll continue to do that. And how much we are confident in that secondary that we already talked about in this episode allows us to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the Iowa State, um, what they're going to pose to us, I think is going to be a little bit different than anything we faced so far. Obviously, a well-coached team, a, a coaching staff hmm. that traditionally is, has been able to dial up some stuff that has caused trouble for OU. But again, to touch on your earlier points, you know, how much of that in retrospect can be attributed to, you know, a quarterback who we now see was, you know, maybe a little underrated in college. And then some receivers that were just an, an absolute mismatch, even stylistically to what we were trying to do defensively at the time. Um, it's and you didn't even really, talk about Brees Hall and uh, David Montgomery. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's well, yeah, yeah. They had a lot of. I mean, they just had a ton of weapons there, and mm -hmm. sometimes that can cover up um, a lot of cracks and make people look, you know, maybe a little bit more brilliant than they actually are. Clemson. Well, say it, say it. Let's let's talk about let's talk about Matt Campbell. Like in what no, I mean, I was. I think you I I guess you missed this because you weren't on the on the. Um, I think we talked about it like last Wednesday, but my thing has never been that Matt Campbell is a bad coach. Mm -hmm. It's it, the whole Matt Campbell is a coward thing stems from he had a precious moment in time and he didn't realize it. 
where he really could have rocketed his career, at least to, you know, make a bunch of money for a few years Mm -hmm. by going to somewhere where the spotlight is bigger and maybe wisely, you know, for the long term, chose to stay at Iowa State. The whole piece of coward is because he was afraid to, you know, push himself out of his comfort zone or, or move up. He found the pond that he wanted to live in as a fish and he's stuck there. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but. Um, you know, you can't say he's the greatest coach of all time or whatever, you know, all these accolades when his biggest achievement is just kind of being a thorn in the side to the Big 12 for a couple mm-hmm. years. Yeah, it makes you think what his priorities are because he was a legitimate candidate for that Green Bay Packers job whenever before LaFleur got the job. Like, it really makes you think kind of what is his ideal job? You know, maybe staying at Iowa State in a mid-program is kind of what he wants. Maybe it's too much stress to go and do the higher things, and he's trying to look for more of a work-life balance. And I understand you really don't have much of a work-life balance as a coach, but it gets even worse the higher up you move. Yeah, well, I think he's starting to see that, you know, the seat can still get hot in Iowa State, especially now that he's created all these uh, all these expectations. It's it's easy to sort of keep your seat cool if you can string along sort of the same goodish results for forever, but you can't string up together some, you know, program record seasons and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. really diminish back to mediocrity and expect your seat not to get hot. But hey, the the failing upwards trajectory of just kind of bouncing around to the NFL and college and back and continuing to fail, or as I like to call it, the Kiffin career path, or maybe the the Matt Rule career path. At this point, it's not for everybody, you know. He really needs to leave. Like, he really needs to because it's just they're always going to compare him to what his, like, what he did earlier in his career. You know, like you already said, you have guys like Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, David Montgomery, you know, Hutchinson, you know, uh, like Alan Lazard, like really like big time. These are guys that are playing downs right now on Sunday, you know, that are big time players. That he's just not going to get that again. There, statistically, mm-hmm. it's just impossible that he's going to get. You know, San Francisco's quarterback that is playing like absolutely stellar, and Brees Hall before his ACL was one of the most fun running backs, young young running rookie running backs to watch in the game. And fans are in media and all of Iowa State's going to compare him to that. It's just as simple as that. And I just don't think he can ever get to that level or surpass it again to the point where it's like, what are you doing right now? You're just scratching at this wall that you want to climb back up. You fell off this wall and you're just going to keep on jumping, but you can't get back up it again. You're just going to have to go find another wall. And I don't care if it's going to be a little bit easier of a wall to climb up. Here we go. I'm going on a little tie thing where I'm talking about <laughs> just what, what, do you, what do you call these like analogies? Are these analogies? I think these are analogies. I don't know. Right Remember. now you're just trying to figure out what you're talking about. Yes. What I'm saying is he needs to stop trying this Iowa State wall because he's already got up that wall, and I just don't think he can get back up it again. He just needs to find a new environment um, because in terms of like what his – if his priorities are, you know, uh, go out and lead successful teams that are talked about in the media as, you know, like – he's doing a really good job with this team. I, I just don't think Iowa state's going to be that team for him for the rest of his career. No, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're seeing some cracks with the fan base buy-in and stuff that you just don't see. If you have someone who has a long-term tenure situation, like, you know, Bill Snyder, Bob Stoops, I think would be good examples. 
you don't see that same environment occurring at Iowa State. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. But, you know, like I talked about, he had that moment where he had tremendous opportunity to go elsewhere in the NFL or even within college football. I think that's well past now. He's, he's going to have a very, very hard time uh, getting NFL GMs mm-hmm. to answer his phone. Uh, and I think he would yeah, arguably he have an even harder time uh, getting a lot of Power 5 programs to, to answer their phone. Maybe he could go to Houston and replace Dana or something like that. He could, he could get a lateral job for sure. In 1982 in the chat talking about Michigan State, I could see it. I really could see that. Hmm. Um, yeah. um, but I don't. I don't know how much higher he's going to jump up and he'll get maybe one level higher than Iowa state, but is he's not going to take the jump of like four or five spots up. Like he was talking about. Yeah. I think he was like, they're talking about Michigan with him at one point they were talking about, and obviously green Bay Packers. There's another big school that had an opening around then might've been an sec team. I can't really remember. Um, but it's, it's a bummer for him. Yeah. He, he, I think the best way he could move higher is just, you know, latitude wise, he could get like the Minnesota job and just move higher, higher north. Don't get me started on Minnesota, Ty. I, <laughs> I, I wanted to stay away from that subject because that has been absolutely bugging me. I'll save that for Wednesday. I, I hate you, PJ Fleck, and I hate everything about you. Um, I gotta move. I gotta move before I just make this a anti PJ Fleck podcast because I can't stand that guy. Um, just one quick thing before we end out this podcast. Like we talked about the defense and what we're looking for. Like anything from the offense specifically that you are like watching this last game versus Cincinnati that you want to see us do or improve on versus Iowa State. I just we we have to find you know real dimension to this. Um, offense. This is our last. I, I'm looking at these games, and obviously Iowa State is never a team that you want to sleep on or have a look forward game on. But I'm seeing this game as our sort of our final practice, our final real test, or you know our final practical application practice before we roll into the mm-hmm. final exam or something like that. And uh, we're really getting down to crunch time in terms of piecing together an offense that even if we don't have a reliable run or deep ball attack, we at least have to have the potential to be dangerous if it's ignored, if that makes sense. And I still don't think we necessarily have that. I think if I'm Texas and I'm looking at this OU team, I'm looking at a very, very one-dimensional offensive threat. And whether it's real or not, Iowa State is going to be our last chance to really put some stuff on tape that could at least cause that half-second or less than half-second pause in a Texas defender's mind or in a Texas coach's mind as they're scheming against us in a couple of weeks that might make the difference here or there. We, we've got to string together some really explosive stuff. And even not to look forward on this Iowa State team, I mean, you know, how great has their schedule been? I don't know. No one scored more than 30 points on them, and we just put up 20 flat on Cincinnati. I think I, I really things I want to look for for this Oklahoma offense that are going to be really easy to gauge I need, uh, I would like to see a rushing touchdown that's longer than 10 yards, you know, not just a let's collect up some loose change here because we got down to the, I want to see a a rushing touchdown, preferably off an explosive play, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, more than 10 yards, you know, even if it's inside the red zone already. And then we need to have over 30 points on this Iowa team, I think, to maintain credibility. Yeah, I, I agree with both of those points. And I think kind of the overweening theme of what you're talking about is we just need a complete game. We need a game on offense where I feel like we get to the pod and we're like, you know what? 
there's not too much I can really dive in and say like that was a weakness. Like I said, this offense is not perfect. I'm not searching for perfection anymore, and it's going to be really hard to have complete games for the offense here. But I think the running back room is the easiest thing to improve to say like, okay, if the running back room improved from the Cincinnati game, I would say that's pretty close to a complete game. Um, so I, I agree. I, we need big runs and I, I would really like to see an explosive 25 plus yard run from one of our running backs as well too, on top of like the longer touchdown. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, we always put this little asterisk on it, but some of it is play calling, but you know, single excuses only work, uh, for so long at some point, you know, if you continue to do the the runs like we're doing, if you're good enough, you will have explosive plays no matter what. We just haven't necessarily seen that. We've seen some good good runs, but you know, um, curved. I guess would curve be the right term? Curved downwards towards our our level of opponent. I don't even really. If you adjusted for our level of opponent, we should have seen a lot more up to this point. I don't know why mm-hmm. that was so hard for me to articulate. Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. It's it's going to be an interesting game, and like you said, it, this is our last practice test. And you know, it's even though it's for a grade, obviously we know that it's the percentage is a little bit less, and we can still find ways to improve before the big game. And the thing is, all in all, if we're not looking perfect going to Texas, that's fine. Texas is the number three team in the country. You know, and I hate to continue to talk about Texas during this podcast, but like this team is really good. They went to Tuscaloosa and handled Alabama. We are going to be underdogs no matter what we do this week going into the Red River game. So it's going to be a tough game to win no matter what. I just want to make sure that we go into that game feeling like we are competent enough to actually show some competitiveness because. Last year, what happened in that Red River game cannot happen again. And I don't care if it's, you know, we put up, say, with the score would have been like 24-49 this year, that still can't happen. We need to make sure we have a close competitive game and we do not have deficiencies that can be exploited by this Texas team to absolutely extinguish us. I don't think it should happen again because obviously there are a lot of things that didn't go away in terms of Dylan Gabriel's health. Um we just need to make sure in terms of our national reputation to be very competitive with Texas. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thankfully, you know, if we're, if we're starting to put the, uh, the schooner ahead of the, ahead of the horses here, uh, Texas, while they don't necessarily have a difficult matchup next week, uh, have a much more dangerous look ahead opponent in terms of, you know, maybe even just having an embarrassing first half to the game with this Kansas team. So um, certainly excited for Red River, but I think um, when it comes to this Cincinnati game, you know, that we were reviewing a little bit at the start for a little bit for the first hour, um, I think overall we liked what we saw. Offense was good enough, and uh, defense really, really seeing big improvements and developments from last year and uh, rolling into Iowa State this next week or, or this week. Um you know, hopefully we continue to see just little incremental improvements and a lot of the same. Yeah, totally agree. Well, that was fun. Um, shout out Bobby for avoiding this podcast and making this the best podcast that we've had so far this season. So shout out to him. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Bobby. I just wanted you to get mad for like a half second while you're listening to this playback. But it was a good convo. I'm excited to watch this game. I was taking a night game in Norman would be really fun. So everyone going out to the game, have fun. 
Uh, make sure that if you're listening to this on YouTube right now and you're not already subscribed, go ahead, do that. Hit the like button too before we end this because it really helps us with algorithms and getting our video out to more people that haven't seen us before. And if you like playing along in the comment section like some of y'all are doing right now, go ahead and hit the bell too. So whenever we go live 7.30 on Wednesdays, 7.30 on Sundays, you can know that we're coming up and you can come talk with us and we can talk in the comment section. But other than that, Ty, appreciate you coming on. And this has been the Schooner Pod. Um, good luck to the Sooners this weekend, and we'll see y'all at 7.30 for the weekend spread. Boomer Sooner.